Hello and welcome to the Living in Jesus podcast. My name is Ross O'Hare and I'll be your host today. Living in Jesus is a podcast designed to explore the depths of what it means to live a grace-filled life with Jesus as the focus. Let's pick back up our conversation and question and answer episode with Ben and Bo and Tom. Today we will cover brokenness and surrender, giving and asking forgiveness, law versus grace, relating unconditionally, and equipping others. With that said, I hope you enjoy today's podcast, and here we go. All right. Like I said, joining me today is Ben Brezina. Hey, Ross. Bo Brezina. Hello. And Tom Price again. How are you guys? Hey, Ross. All right. Good. So, like I said in the intro, we're going to hop right back into the question and answer. We're going to pick back up with brokenness and surrender. So, the first question submitted said this, is suffering from God? Well, that's a that's a small question. <laughs> no, that's a that's an age old question that's been asked many times and debated. When I when I hear that question, first of all, I'd want to know. Well, what do you mean by suffering? What is, you know, we have to define what suffering is. I mean, if I'm a parent, if my child come to me and says, "Dad, can I go to Six Flags?" and I say no, in that moment they would say they're suffering. But I may have a really really good reason why I don't want them to go to Six Flags. Mm. And so since humanity began, we've gone to God and, and asked God for things, and God has said no. And in that moment, from our human perspective, we could assign Him as the cause of our suffering. But the bigger question to me is, does God cause evil? You know, And evil is not caused by God. Yes, I know that God created the, the players who chose evil, but he did not cause evil. And so in my life, when I'm suffering, I'm looking at it from my perspective. Sure. You know, uh, I know listening to a previous podcast, Jamie told the story about Corey Ten Boom and, and praying that the fleas would go away. And, and she found out years later that the men avoided that space because of the fleas. Mm-hmm. And so they were suffering you know, from the fleas, but at the same time, God was using that to protect them. Mm-hmm. And so it all comes down to our perspective. So, no, I do not believe that God causes evil. But, yes, sometimes God is using situations in our lives that may uh, feel like suffering to us, but it's for our good. It's, it's out of a heart of love. I like how you differentiated there between how someone defines suffering, you know. And, and of course, uh, Jesus said that in this world we'll have tribulation, and, and sin produces tribulation. But then he goes right on, and, and this is in John 16. He says, take courage. I have overcome the world. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think he recognized that sin caused tribulation. Yet going back to what Tom was talking about, he didn't create evil. He said in Genesis one thirty one, he said he saw all that he made and it was good. Mm. So he didn't make evil, right? Um, but yet uh, sin causes suffering. Yeah, and I mean, this is really too big of a topic to really cover in, a, in one little few minutes here. I mean, you could, couldn't even cover it in one podcast. And mm. I, I think definitely God is good, that Scripture teaches, and that suffering is from sin and God can use it to work together for our good. He also, we, we also experience the consequences of suffering in our life from sin. The scripture says that we shouldn't suffer from that kind. I mean, we don't want to suffer for that, but there's also suffering for doing what's right, a persecution where other people sin against us, even when we're not doing anything wrong. 
is that coming from God? No, it's coming from the the sin of other people. And then there's, uh, you know, the creation has been damaged and cursed, under curse. God, you know, after sin, as a result of sin, the, the ground was cursed. And so there's difficulties that we face from the earth, and it's all flowing from sin. But God uses it. And also it says he disciplines those he loves. And and that means with he sometimes he uses difficulties in our life to get our attention, suffering mm-hmm. in our life to get our attention. I know there was something about my back troubles that I've had. I've talked about this in the podcast before, but it was it was a huge wake up to me that I that I, my body's not invincible and I'm not as strong as I think I am, mm. you know, and that was a wake up that I've been relying on my physical strength instead of relying on the Lord. So mm. if you want to study more, there's a great book that I read by C.S. Lewis called The Problem of Pain. That's a great book to, to read. I don't know if you guys have any other books, but this is too big of a topic to really cover mm-hmm. in depth here. Yeah. Well, I think it comes back also to the nature of who God is and, you know, is God... And to me, when I think about this, and this is something that I've heard Andrew Farley talk about, but just a lot of people have talked about this, is just God is not two-faced. He's not hurling suffering and pain and destruction at you and then coming around the backside and saying, but I'm here for you in case you need me, <laughs> right? And, just, and so he, that would be two-faced. That would be him causing it and then him saying, but I'm also the solution. He's the solution, and the world's the problem, right? The brokenness of the world, the, the, the problem of sin, of pain, of suffering, all those things come from a broken world. And God, God is the solution. Having Christ in us is the solution to, for us to be able to handle those things and to be able to make it through suffering in a way that brings peace and joy and all the fruit of the Spirit. And I think that's why, you know, we can look at suffering and separate it from God as the origin, but also we can marry it to God as Him as the solution. In the last podcast, we answered some questions from the session on the believer's battle, and we talked about the, the thoughts that can come from the enemy. And I think the question in and of itself is suffering from God is a question authored by Satan to draw our attention away from the goodness of God. It puts a suspicion, you know, places a suspicion on God. God, are you are you really good? Are you causing this in my life? And so we have to be careful, even with the question itself, is where is that coming from? And this question is not new. It's it's common to experience going back all the way to the beginning. I mean, the book of Job wrestles with these issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God, I think we want to know all the reasons in order to understand and justify God in our mind. And God didn't give Job that, you know. He just gave him a bigger picture of who he is and asked him to trust him. Mm-hmm. And uh, God's still doing that with us today. All right. So one of the ways that uh, Scripture talks about and our Living in Jesus book talks about dealing with suffering or one of the, the opposite sides of that is surrendering our rights. Right? So when things aren't going how we either deserve or expected them to go, the idea of surrendering that right to God, the question submitted goes along those lines that says, I don't like the idea of surrendering my rights. Why is this necessary, and what does this look like practically? Well, if I'm sitting in a counseling session and somebody says that to me, my curiosity would be, what is it about the idea of surrendering rights that bothers you to start with? You know, because I want to find out what they're thinking that means before mm. I can even begin to tackle the question. Sure. Um, so what's a good definition of surrendering rights, what it is? Well, here's how I visualize it in my mind. It's like God coming to me and saying, Tom, I know that from your limited understanding and your finite knowledge that this is something that you like or prefer, but I have something better I want to give you. And I'm asking you to give that up so that I can give you this thing that's better. 
So that's how I, it's, an, it's like an exchange. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I think about a right, I think, and holding on to it, I think about connecting that with needs. You know, there's something that I think I need in order to be okay, and I deserve this. You know, mm. in fact, there's even rights the Bible seems to imply, like, I have a right for my wife to respect me because the Bible says for her to respect her husband, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's a right. But if I'm looking to her to get my respect needs and holding on to that right and holding on to her, first of all, I have a false God, right? That, mm-hmm. And that needs to be surrendered. But second of all, I'm not loving her. I'm using her to try to meet my needs, which is selfishness. Mm. So it's the opposite. I mean, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then the second is to love others. And in order to do that, we can't hold on to anything, a right to anything above God and what he wants for us and above other people. If we do, then it's all about us and what we need. And so that's it's it's a surrendering those rights to anything that we are clinging to to enjoy or get something out of mm. because we're holding it to a level of God in our life to meet our needs. I like Ben, Ben, your highlight on needs, because I think of this as, I, you know, I came into the world uh, before I was saved, uh, trying to get these needs met, developed expectations around how it should work, maybe slap some Bible verses on it. Like Ben was saying, you know, my wife should meet my need for respect and my kids should honor me because the Bible says it. And I set off on this path. I'm going to make this work. And this is the way it should happen. This is my expectation. And then Christ comes in and he says, Bo, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I'm going to crucify with you with me. I'm going to put my life in you. I'm going to meet all your needs. Yeah. And so surrendering rights is to me is just a matter of transforming my thinking Mm -hmm. from the old way of the pattern of the world taught me. And I'm going to be transformed by renewing my mind and saying, you're right, God, I don't have to hold on and demand that of my wife because you're meeting my need for respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or she's designed, I'm designed to show her love and she's designed to show me respect out of this fullness of you pouring into my life that I've already met, you've already met all my needs. So I'm going to transform. I'm going to be transformed in this area. Mm. And I'm not going to be conformed to the way the world thought about it. And mm. I'm just going to surrender that to you. That old way of thinking, that was incorrect thinking. And that's really, to me, what this looks like. So it's a practically, it's a day-by-day you know, situation where I'm encountering different situations, you know, like recently I had someone who questioned one of my decisions <laughs> and it sounds like a child. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this person will remain nameless <laughs> <laughs> to protect the innocent. Right. <laughs> um, and I'm immediately feeling uh, tempted to, you know, I don't feel respected. I don't feel understood. Uh, I'm immediately uh, planning my, my response. Like, don't you know, I had to do this and this and this, you're not understanding me. Mm-hmm. I'm, really am making great decisions here. And then the spirit comes along and he says, Bo, essentially he says, Bo, your respect comes from me. You can release this person. You can forgive them for misunderstanding the way they approached it. I didn't feel like was the most loving, you know, you can release them from that. In other words, that's an expression of surrender, so to speak, Hmm. surrendering the way I used to handle this. I learned for this new way of abundance in Christ where my respect comes from him. Mm. Then I can go back and listen to the person and hear maybe I was wrong. 
Yeah. Maybe I could change. You know, I think about Jesus, and he didn't, when he was reviled, he didn't revile, but he entrusted himself to his Father. And to me, surrendering is, is part of that process. It's like, yeah, we got something that's our right that's gotten stamped on, mm. whether by the world or by circumstances or whatever, but mm. instead of reacting and trying to control the situation, we entrust ourselves to the Father, builds yeah. intimacy. Yeah. You know, but if we don't have that view, like Tom started this, if we don't have that view that God's got something good in store for us, and He's not He's not this man trying to destroy us up mm -hmm. from heaven, you know, then we won't ever surrender. We're never going to turn loose if we think that He's waiting to destroy us. I mean, we're going to hold on to everything we can and try to get more. Yeah. Well, Jesus was a, a great example, as you pointed out, and I, it took my mind immediately to the the temptations in that first one where he's hungry because he's been without food for 40 days. And, mm. and Satan says, hey, you can turn this these stones into bread. And, you know, Jesus being God in the flesh, he had the ability and the right to do that if he wanted to. Mm. But I love Jesus' answer where he says, but I get my food from my father, uh, I'm paraphrasing, that his words are truth, and that truth feeds me, and that's where I'm getting my needs met. And that's a great example of Jesus. The one example I think of is just God himself. When he created creation, he had the right for that creation to honor and love him and treat him with respect. <laughs> and we have done the opposite, right? We've rebelled and treated him with disdain. And yet, what was his reaction to that? It wasn't, I'm going to make you. It's, no, I'm going to still, I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to do everything in my power to redeem you, short of making you make that choice. I'm going to provide you with the option and love you and care about you. And to me, that's, you know, why should we have to, or I don't like the idea of it, and why is it necessary? Well, it's we don't have to, but God's a perfect example of what life comes from us surrendering our rights, because he was the perfect example of that. He, he surrendered all of his rights for us to be able to have a relationship with him. Let's move on to giving and asking forgiveness session, session 17. First question submitted said, I thought I had forgiven my blank, so a person, but I keep having thoughts of anger towards him and him or her. Does this mean I haven't forgiven them? Well, I think this goes back to where are the thoughts coming from, which goes mm -hmm. back to the session on the believer's battle. Yeah. You know, scripture in Matthew 16, I think makes it clear that thoughts can come from the enemy. They also come from God. Yeah. And God's not going to give uh, these types of thoughts that this person is describing in this que question. Yeah. So I would assume that it would be coming from the enemy mm. or from the world around them. Now, keep in mind that it's fine to be angry. When you've been sinned against, it's hurtful, yeah. right? Yeah. And our emotions don't immediately respond when I forgive. Just like when I burn my finger, the burning has stopped, right? Mm -hmm. I might yeah. have even put it, medical attention to it, but yeah. the pain still lingers. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I'm not on the path of healing. And so yeah. I think you need to remember who our battle's with, mm -hmm. right? Which is the enemy who wants to plant these thoughts. And remember that my anger uh, does not necessarily mean that I haven't forgiven, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It just means it's an opportunity for me to direct my thoughts once again to intimacy with God. God, I'm angry. I've chosen, chosen to release. What would you say to me in this moment? Mm -hmm. What would you, how do you want to minister to me through your word, yeah. uh, through the truth, et cetera? Awesome. The question says thoughts of anger. To me, that's a mixing of, of thoughts and, <laughs> sure, and yeah. emotions. You know, I'm sure 
maybe what they may have meant is ugly thoughts or unkind thoughts or thoughts of wanting revenge, thoughts of how they could get revenge, and that leads to the anger because the, the emotions usually follow what we're thinking. For Forgiveness is a choice, mm-hmm. right? It's not a feeling or not feeling. It's a choice that we make to give the offense to God who's the judge of the earth, and he says, vengeance is mine, I will pay. I offload that responsibility, that debt, I offload that to him. That's a choice that we make, and it has nothing to do with our feelings, whether we feel like forgiven. You know, whatever God does with it, we have to, once we put it in his hands, hmm. but then how do we do with the feelings? It has to do with the, with the thoughts that we're still having. And I think we can take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So if, if we replay the offense in our mind, it is going to lead us to get angry again because we feel disrespected. We feel like they've stepped on us, whatever it was. Uh, unkind words, was it they deceived us, they cheated on us, they stole from us. What are All these things we get angry from, those things, if we reflect on those and take it in and nurse it in our inner being, it's going to arouse that emotion of anger. And the more we nurse it, it's going to get us even more. And it's going to turn into bitterness and it's going to consume mm. our days. And that can still happen even after you've made a choice. So if you're still feeling angry and you still have those thoughts about the offense, I would encourage, this is what I do, is continue giving that to God. I've given that to God and I'm giving it back to him. I'm not I'm not picking that up again. Yeah. And it's an act of the will. And if you're still feeling angry, then focus on those thoughts. What are you thinking towards that person? Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that's helped me is to pray for that person. Mm-hmm. When you pray for that person, not not that God will will rain down fire and sulfur, <laughs> but to pray God's heart, which is that He's not willing that any should perish, but all to come to salvation and for all to come to repentance. And so He wants everyone to operate in healthy relationships with Him and others. And we pray that for other people. Hmm. Then God God changes our heart to, and it is a process. Like Bo said, it can be, it can keep coming back, and Satan wants us to keep picking that up and focusing on it because bitterness will will destroy our life. That's why God says, don't let any root of bitterness be established in you. You mm-hmm. know, it will destroy our life. It destroy all our relationships and pollute our churches. Mm. I think a sign that I may not have forgiven someone is I'm I'm still holding the offense. It's not just I'm thinking about it, I'm feeling the the hurt from it, but I'm still holding that offense against them. To me, that's a sign that I truly have not forgiven someone. Hmm. Uh, I think about Jesus as he hung there on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in that simple sentence there, he's acknowledging that these people are doing something and they really don't understand what's behind their actions toward me. If they knew the fullness of it, they probably wouldn't do this. Hmm. And, you know, and Stephen, as he's being stoned, he said the same words, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if I'm in a relationship with someone who has hurt me and I have forgiven them, I can still remember the offense and still feel the emotions based on the offense. But in my relationship with that person, because I've made that choice, as Ben said, that I'm walking in the truth and I'm not holding that against them anymore. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the day of restoration to the point where I'm not remembering the offense and I'm not feeling the emotions anymore. Hmm. All right. Next question said, I am constantly reminded of my failures and have a hard time forgiving myself. 
How can I get through this? To me, forgiving myself is simply agreeing with God about what he says. And this is what he says about my failures. He took all of his failures on him, sin, yep. assuming that these are what yep. failures are that they're talking about, yep. which I think for Christians is sin. And he says, I've cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Mm. And so this to me is a matter of a concept of God and my own personal belief system. Yeah. Am I going to choose to believe what God says about me? Or am I going to live in the world system which rates my worth and value based on my failures? Mm. And so it's a matter of that Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind and you will prove what is pleasing in mm-hmm. the perfect will of God. I'm both paraphrased. <laughs> and so to me, it's a matter of I'm going to choose to believe that what God says about me, and this is the identity session. This is, you know, and so part of this is Romans 6, 6 to me. You know, I've been, the old self has been crucified with Christ. And mm-hmm. then Romans six eleven, you know, basically I'm dead to sin. Yeah. So I'm dead to evaluating myself based on my failures. I'm alive to Christ who defines my worth and value based on his behavior. And the, and this is the wrestle. I mean, this is why we call it a battle. Whoever this person is says they're constantly reminded. Mm. You know, I mean, who who do you think's reminding them? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's a it's a war in the thoughts and why is the enemy reminding? It's because it's working. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, and he's going to find the opportune times to wear us out in the areas, but God says that he's given us himself. He's clothed us in himself. He's given us his powerful Holy Spirit, and he's given us his promises. Hmm. So there's weapons there that we have, not only his life, his power, but also his promises to claim in the midst of that. So if somebody, if we come at, oh, you'll never amount to anything because of this, this, and this that you did, and you can say, no, God has a future and a hope for me. Mm-hmm. And he's promised to cause all things to work together for my good. Mm-hmm. And you can fight back with the truth by s- surrendering to the Holy Spirit's mm-hmm. voice, who's also reminding us the things that Bo said. And yeah. that's he Bo laid out the, the dichotomy here between the two. Which one are we going to believe? That's yeah. the war that's happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're getting constantly reminded, but if you have the Holy Spirit... He's reminding you, and he he has good things in store for you. You see, the there's so many positive messages and promises. We have a sure hope. Our anchor lies in the veil in the holy place with God. We can boldly approach God for help in our time of need. And knowing his promises, knowing his life, allows us to stand right when the onslaught of the wicked comes. And we have all the spiritual armor, which is Christ. You know, he's given us salvation. He's given us righteousness. We have the shield of faith. We have the word, the truth. We All these things that so we can stand, you know, the shoes of peace and the belt of truth, all these things we can stand. And uh, we should expect that the enemy is going to come and constantly remind us. But as you claim the truth, as we claim the truth in that area, you know, he probably will look for other areas. If he knows that that area is not working anymore, he will look Mm -hmm. for other areas. And so I think God wants to establish a yes. Satan wants to constantly remind us that we'll never amount to anything. We're failures and we're, you know, completely destroyed and we're worthless. And so that we won't ever love anybody or love God or love ourselves. Yeah. In that struggle, there are two sure things. One is that we have a past Mm. and we can't change it. Mm -hmm. And then the enemy, as Ben said, is going to come at us 
and barrage us with our past until we appropriate the truth. Yeah. And the only way that I can overcome that is I can't get in a time machine. That would be nice, but really, if I if you gave me a time machine, I went back, I probably would make a different mistake trying to correct the <laughs> other mistake. Yeah. And so I'm thank Lord, thank you for not giving me a time machine. Mm-hmm. So God wants me to believe what He says about me. His opinion of me is what changes this struggle. The yeah. more I listen to His opinion, the more this struggle goes away. Again, it doesn't change the past, yep. but I can appropriate the forgiveness that he has already given me. It's already mine. Yeah. There's a great cartoon. It was a kid's story first and turned into a cartoon by Max Cicada that we use here called You Are Special. And uh, people give stars and dots, and the people that have dots are, are demeaned. And the way to get rid of the dots is to go hang out with the woodcarver and have him tell you why he made you. And so that's a great story to watch if, if you're struggling with this. Yeah. So one of the things I saw in the question is I'm constantly reminded. One of the ways that we get reminded of our sins or failures is the earthly consequences that come along with it, right? So, you know, I may have sinned against someone, and then I see that someone, or I may have uh, stolen something, and then I see the store. You know, I'm constantly reminded of the consequences of that, of, of my failures. But that ties it back into the session we just talked about, which is where we surrender our rights. Like one of the things that goes into forgiving ourselves is we have to surrender the right to be perfect, right? To have never messed up, to not have failed, to not have sinned, because that's the reality of life. And, you know, our desire as Christians is to not sin and to not fail. We don't want to do that. And so when we do fail, there is that heartbreak where we're like, man, I wish I hadn't done that. And part of that forgiveness is surrendering the right of, well, I, I have to surrender the right that I'm not going to be perfect and then I allow God to speak to me in that time. And I think the last thing we can remember is that God's blood is more powerful than my sin. And that's really helped me through this journey of forgiving myself is, you know, I can think about all the things that I've ever done. Not not all of them, but, you know, I can, re- <laughs> <laughs> I can remember some of the things that I've done. And one of the things that God has really helped me to get past those is, well, which one's more powerful, me dying for that sin or your sin? And that truth to me has really helped set me free of reminding myself, no, you're right, God, what you did is more powerful than what I did. And so I can set myself free because of that. And it goes along with what you're guys saying. God's opinion of me, God's truth about me, and God's actions towards me all prove to me that I am forgivable and that I can forgive myself also. When you were talking about surrendering a right for perfection, it reminds me of Hebrews, where by one sacrifice, he is perfected for all time. So we're exchanging our idea that we could perfect ourselves for the peaceful gift of his perfection that he's worked in us. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Session 18, Law versus Grace. Um, First question submitted said this, in my mind, I, quotation marks, check off the boxes and try to do what I think a good Christian should do. I don't hear from God, but I'm trying to please him. How can I get out of this cycle? First of all, it concerns me that the person doesn't hear from God. And I'm not saying that, that there's something wrong with them. It's just what's replaced hearing God is trying to please God through a legalistic and, and, and I know legalistic is subjective because someone may look at me and say, oh, you're very legalistic, and I'm, I'm not legalistic. You know, that person over there is the one who's legalistic. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. But if I'm trying to live my life in such a way to gain acceptance and worth by checking the boxes, 
that's never going to be successful. And that's what we call the, you know, the law system in that mm-hmm. session. Yep. And it's the law system that brings condemnation because in order to actually accomplish worth and acceptance, you have to be successful 100% of the time. Mm. If you're successful 99.9% of the time, that little percentage that you're not successful condemns you in the whole thing, in the whole system. And so you have to understand that your acceptance, your worth has already been gifted to you through Christ. I mean, it's yours. Uh, And it's not just a title. It is a reality. I am fully accepted by God. He loves to see me. Mm. He loves to hang out with me. And it's not the checking the boxes that pleases him. It's the fact that I am his child that pleases him. Hmm. And in my relationship with him, he's going to say, hey, let's do this together. And the world may look at it, oh, look, he's checking his box. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm I'm enjoying fellowship with the Father here, yeah. and we're doing this together. Hmm. So I think the, in one aspect of the interesting things about this question is the title, Good Christians, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the idea that checking the boxes leads to a good Christian, which implies the also opposite. If I don't check the boxes, then maybe I fall down onto the bad Christian. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that makes me think of the story with Jesus when someone comes to Jesus and addresses him as good teacher. Mm. And then they ask him a question, and he doesn't really answer their question right away. He asks them a question back, and then the question was this. He says, why do you call me? me good. And then he immediately says, there's only one who is good. Mm. And of course, he's referencing God. And I think the passage is really talking about him saying that he's God. But the point still carries forward that if there's only one who is good, that person is not me Mm. or any of the other billions or billions of Christians that have ever walked the earth. It's God. And that goes back to the gift idea that Tom was talking about, the goodness is a gift from God. It's the same as righteousness. It's mm. all the identity yeah. statements that we talked about in the identity state session. And so my goodness is a gift. That means I didn't earn it. That means I didn't do it. That means it's not a paycheck. Mm. It's a get really a gift. And therefore, I'm a good Christian, whether mm. I chalk the boxes or not. Mm. Now, then that frees me up to go down the path of what Tom is talking about, doing it with the Father. Yeah. And yeah, I'm going to do probably the same things that were on my list, but it'll be motivated out of a totally different idea. Father, you've gifted me your goodness. I want to experience that today. What do you want me to do? Oh, read some scripture or give to the poor or go to church or you know memorize whatever it is. And so I think that's a gift aspect to it is just a beautiful way to approach it. Yeah, when I look at this... It- the question says, how can I get out of the cycle? And it kind of resonates with me because I spent a good chunk of my first half of my life in this process where I didn't really hear from God. I didn't even know much about a relationship, but I was trying to be good and do stuff that would please him somewhere up there in heaven, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it resonates. How can I get out of the cycle now? You know, God wants to lead us out, and I think we get back to that. But in my life, I can say that understanding my identity in Christ and that I'm connected to the Father, like Tom was saying, that was a big starting point for me. The starting point was a revelation, but then it then it takes the next step is pursuing knowing God and having that relationship instead of trying to make him happy with you, understand that he's happy with us because of what Christ has done, yeah. and instead just enjoy his fellowship, and that's where Bo was, was getting at. So 
if you want to start that process, I say, you know, get to know who God is, how you were designed to function, and then what has Christ done for you? What identity has he given you in Christ? And then when you're under, with that, the foundation, pursue relationship. Hmm. And that'll take you out of the cycle of, for me, it was dryness. I mean, trying hard. I mean, they, they call it a cycle. And it, it, to me, it makes sense because you're up sometime and you're down the other. And there's a lot of dryness and a lot of failure there for me personally. Mm. Yeah. And, and there's no joy or peace. That's all the good stuff. The fatness is intimacy with God in yeah. the Christian walk. There was nothing that like that for me. So, Awesome. Okay, let's move on. Uh, next question submitted said, what are examples of living under grace versus living under law? I mean, living under law, you get what you deserve. Whatever you put out, you get. If you want to be something, you it's because you've done it. If you want acceptance, then you have to be acceptable. And, and once you define yourself, then you're stuck, you know. And I, and I think mm. of uh, Les Mis, the play. That, there's mm-hmm. a beautiful picture of Javert, the so, the the soldier, supreme soldier, and he's the picture of the law. And then uh, Jean Valjean, he's the picture of grace, where he's been in prison and gotten out. He's been transformed by love. And there's just a clash there. So mm. that's a great, if you want to see see that in action, and that's a great picture of it. Yeah. And practical, just everyday relationships. When I'm in a relationship with someone, when I'm assuming the best about them, even before we've had an interaction with each other, and I'm assuming the best about them, and when the interaction is going on, I'm assuming the best without them. And if I misunderstand them or if I feel hurt by them, I'm still assuming the best about mm-hmm. them. In that moment, I am operating under grace hmm. because I know that there's more than to a person than what I see on the exterior. Yeah. Because if you're believing a lie you're going to react to that lie, and your reaction may hurt me. And if I'm living under a law system where it's all based on performance, where you've got to check the boxes, as we said, then I'm not going to assume the best. I'm just I'm going to judge you by that moment hmm. in time, that little slice of time in our interaction, and how you treat me and what you say to me, that's going to determine what I think about you. Hmm. That's under law. But if I'm assuming the best about you, then that goes, well, that's that's the economy of love right there. Yeah, You know, I think Ben mentioned something about law being what you deserve. And so if I'm operating under law, it's giving other people what they deserve. Mm. But if I'm under grace, it's giving them what Christ deserves. It's giving them what, what Christ earned on their behalf, yeah, yeah. so to speak, if to better clarify that. I like that. And so it's the same way. If I'm trying to earn my goodness or acceptance, then I'm living under a law system that's based on what I do and what I don't do. If I'm living under grace, then it's what Christ did on my behalf, and it's gifted to me, mm-hmm. and it's a restful, yeah. faith-filled, believing journey. And that relates to whether it's parenting, you know, son, you didn't do the right thing, so I don't feel respected. You're going to get some punishment Mm. versus the Holy Spirit's leading me to correct you and to forgive you. And here's the consequences in a a loving way. Mm. And one's just trying to lay down the law to get them to change, to meet a need or to get acceptance. And the other is you're already accepted, but there's still correction and love that needs to be administered through consequences of what you did. But you're already accepted uh, even before or even right after you you did this wrong. Yeah. 
Awesome. Okay, and the last question in this session um, says, why is religion or religiosity looked at as bad in this chapter? I don't remember just nailing religion, you know, <laughs> in this chapter. But when I when I think about religion uh, as a concept, I see that as something that is man-made. Now, I know it's not anti-biblical. Religion is not anti-biblical per sure. se. But, you know, what is it in James where he talks about uh, pure religion is ministering to the widows mm-hmm. and the the orphans and you in, in that picture you see uh, you see love okay yeah. so God is about love where what we're trying to say in this chapter is that man-made religion is not about love it's about trying to do something for God mm-hmm. or a God to gain acceptance and worth and yeah. value and everything to get those needs met in a religious kind of way yeah yeah I mean that's what I what I hate is you know what I if you define religion as man's attempt to get God to be appeased or to like him you know that's what a lot of the world religions are yeah. I'm doing this I'm going to the the mosque I'm doing my prayers I'm giving I'm doing all this to try to get God to be okay with me mm-hmm. and to bless me to give me I mean going all the way back to the early times to give me a good harvest you know to to make my wife ha- be able to have kids you know mm-hmm. whatever it is we want we do this to, to make God happy so that he'll bless us. And so that's what what I hate, you know, because that's the antithesis of the story of Christ. Exactly. Which is, yeah. There's nothing you can do. But guess what? God, God's doing it. He's just giving this, not based on what you've earned. He's giving it because of his goodness. He's love, and it's flowing out of him. And so that's exactly the opposite of God's love and life and who God really is. And we set up this concepts of God, here's God, and we need to do this for him. And it's just one more way of the pride of arrogance of man, thinking that we can manipulate God and control him when he's, he's saying, no, you can't do that, but I'll tell you what you can. You can come to me in faith, and I'll give you much more than you can dream or imagine. Hmm. Let's move on to session 19, Relating Unconditionally. We're going to start with this first question. It says, how can I show my family grace without letting down God's standard? (laughs) Those are not opposite. If I'm showing grace, I'm showing God's standard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He perfectly fulfilled the standard, and then he gave us his perfection so that we can share that with others. Mm -hmm. That's grace. Yeah. And so I think this is the idea here that, you know, I can't, say that was wrong, and that if I say that is wrong, that's not graceful. Mm. Well, love points out what's wrong, and that's not a problem as long as you have the foundation of God's grace that mm-hmm. says that's not who you are. What you did was wrong. Yeah. That's God's standard. But who you are in Christ as a, a saved person is the righteousness of Christ, yeah. and that's a graceful thing. Yeah, absolutely. The problem is, is if you don't understand your identity or mm-hmm. the nature of God. Yep. Then the focus becomes, well, that's God's standard, and you got to measure up, or I'm not essentially going to accept you as a good Christian. Mm-hmm. Well, as Bo pointed out, grace, or excuse me, God's uh, highest standard is love, you know, and, and grace is a display of His love. So grace says, I love you even when you make choices that are wrong. So as a parent, you know, I can, I can see a child making a, a bad choice. And if I just strictly focus on their choice and their behavior, and you shouldn't do that, that was wrong, yeah, I, am I pointing out truth? Yes, I am. 
But am I doing it out of love? Am I looking mm. past that moment of mistake in their life to the character that God wants to bring out of them, you mm. know, if, if our child is a believer? And so grace is a focus on the character of the person, whereas law is a focus strictly on the behavior aspect. I wish I could know more about this question. It's a little bit nebulous because family is so big. I mean, it could be your parents. It could be your siblings. It could be your Mm -hmm. kids. You know, there's different aspects to this question. I think that, you know, showing somebody grace is the way to reach their heart, you know, what does God want from us? He wants our heart. He knows if he has our heart, he'll have our behavior. And if we're looking at this in the context of our kids, if we're going after their behavior, then, you know, we're going to be not extending grace. We're going to hold to God's standards. And, and what does God's word say? It says, train your kids. And that doesn't mean that you have to find some way to control them and manipulate them to do the right thing. I mean, as a parent, I want my kids to have a heart for God and have a heart for me. And how do we get that? It's by grace. I mean, how has God's impacted and changed our hearts? It's all by grace through faith, you know? So yeah, we, we want to teach and train them in God's ways, but without showing grace, we'll never impact their heart. Maybe their behavior will line up for a little bit, but as soon as they're on their own, they're going to do whatever they want. But I mean, that's, that's in relation to kids and there's a lot of other, other aspects to family, to parents to siblings, all the different relationships. All right, awesome. Let's move on to session 20, uh, equipping others. Uh, First question says this, how can I disciple others when I still struggle? Isn't that hypocrisy? Well, we never stop struggling this side of heaven. Yeah. We're we're always going to struggle but I think I understand maybe, well, I don't know the person who asked this question, but I can see maybe a motivation for it is the the televangelist, you know, or telling you don't drink, don't smoke, don't do this. Mm-hmm. And then you find out in the news they've been doing everything <laughs> that they told you not to do. Sure. Well, the way that that I can battle this with truth I can struggle. I, you know, I can say, hey, this is what the Bible says. But here, let me um, let me share something from my own life. I, I battle with this too. This mm. is a struggle of mine. Yeah. So when I'm being transparent, when I'm confessing, I'm not being a hypocrite. You know, if I if I'm leading you to believe that this is something I don't struggle with, and until you don't do it, then I definitely am being a hypocrite. God, He uses my story in other people's lives um, when He brings someone into my circle and I hear their story, I'm like, wow, I can relate to that. Yeah. You know, I mean, your story is your story, but here's how they intersect. This is what I've struggled with. This is what God has been teaching me. So what am I doing in that moment? I'm actually making a disciple, you know, and teaching them truth. Yeah. And we're we're journeying together. We're struggling together. Mm. In a lot of ways we're we're all disciples of the apostle Paul who is a disciple of Jesus. And he says, you know, he hasn't arrived. He didn't arrive. You know, he's still pressing on. And, yeah. uh, you know, at the end of his life, he's like, I've fought the good fight. So we're, he he considered his whole life a fight and a struggle against the spiritual forces. And it, it, the thoughts coming into his mind, we're all going to have that. I, you know, for me, the way that I get around it is 
I'm not trying to tell everybody exactly what they should do when they should do it. That's not, to me, that's not discipleship. It's getting people connected to God. It's clearing up the barriers of things mm-hmm. that, you know, what's the concept of God? What's your concept of God? And and how were you designed to function? What's your relationship to God like in Christ? And what happened at the fall? You know, that what what is it that trips us up? To me, that's discipleship, teaching and encouraging in that manner, getting people connected in their relationship with God so that they're established with him and that God will take them the rest of the way. I just get to partner with him in that particular phase. So it's not about me having perfected everything and know what to do in every situation so I can tell them what to do. And, and when I tell them what to do, I'm always doing it perfectly. I mean, that's a misconception of what discipleship is to me. Mm, yeah. I think there's a couple of things going on in this question. One is defining hypocrisy. And when I think of hypocrisy, and, and Tom talked about this, it's trying to appear as someone that I'm not, mm-hmm. right? And trying to convince you that I'm someone. Well, underlying that is this idea that my behavior equates with who, who I am. Mm. Well, if you've studied session one through 19, you know that we mm-hmm. say behavior can never never created identity. Only Christ can give us a righteous identity. And he did through yeah. our crucifixion, burial, and death. And yeah. so what is my true identity? I'm a child of God who has been gifted righteousness. I'm complete. I am not what I do. Yeah. So therefore, I can be transparent, like Tom says, mm-hmm. because that's not who I am. Yeah. I could actually say, I'm a child of God. This is what we're what I learned in this you know discipleship journey. And then I learned that sometimes I behave not like who I am. Mm. That's where I have these struggles, right? And so let's talk about struggle. We can get in the believer's battle or we can get, you know, but who I am is defined by Christ. It's not based on my behavior. And therefore I, you know, I can freely share these truths with you or walk with you as you discover them because it's, it's a gift for you, just like it's a gift for me. And then Mm. I can be honest about my struggles. And then the other thing that this implies or underlines this is you have to understand the battle from the enemy. This question is, is almost a classic ploy in the enemy's battle. Oh, yep. you can't share what you know about mm-hmm. Christ because you're not behaving perfectly, yeah, right? Yeah. And you're going to look like a hypocrite. Well, the answer to that is God's truth. No, my identity comes from Christ mm-hmm. and what he did for me. Yep. It doesn't come from my failures. And so, therefore, Christ is leading me to step out yep. and share this, even though, and maybe because I'm struggling, it's part of my journey mm-hmm. to further root myself in what is true. Okay, and Lynn, the last question here today, how do I get started and uh, be intentional in discipleship? I'll I'll give the short answer here. Tell your story. Hmm. You have a Christ story. You don't have to be a theologian. God may make you into a theologian in your journey, but that's neither here nor there. He wa- he wants you to tell your story of of your intimate relationship with him and what he is teaching you. Everybody can do that. Yeah, pre- prepare to give a defense for the hope that is within you. you. You have a hope. We have a hope. We can share that. I think for me, it's just keeping my eyes open, understanding my identity. This is who I am. I'm an expressor of God's love, and when we love people. Well, that opens doors into uh, joining lives together, which allows people to speak into each other's lives and uh, encourage. And uh, that's how we learn and grow in relationships, I think. So I, I think be open for relationships and, and looking. Some people don't want. They'll, they'll reject you outright. They, they don't want to have anything to do. If you mention Jesus, you get persecuted. 
you know, but there's others that God puts along your path that are hurting, that are ready to, to be there and, uh, and just keeping an open eye. And, you know, I, I think with this is, um, you know, if we all just shared with one person and minister to that one person, that's a lot more people that are healthier in their relationship with God themselves and others. And that's God's desire is for us to multiply like that. And I guess I think of the word celebration. In a way, that discipleship is an overflow of a celebration of your own journey with with Christ. I mean, he Paul says it in Corinthians: we comfort others. Essentially, this is a paraphrase: comfort others with the comfort you've received. Mm-hmm. And so, like Ben said, you look for opportunities. Well, yeah, it might look like a very formal Bible study where you sit down and go through the Living in Jesus manual. But a lot of discipleship is simply celebrating. This is what God's talking to me about as you go. Yeah, on your way. Yeah wherever that is. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for all your answers, your insight, and uh, we really appreciate your time. So thank you, Ben. Thank you, Bo. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Ross. Hope you guys have enjoyed today's podcast, and we'll see you next time. The Living in Jesus podcast is a production of Christian Families Today and is produced and edited by Ross O'Hare and Ben Brezina. Christian Families Today is a nonprofit discipleship counseling, coaching, and training ministry focused on equipping men, women, and children how to build biblically healthy lives and families. You can visit our website at cftministry.org to find this podcast, information about the Living in Jesus study, and other free content. If you're encouraged by this podcast, it would mean a lot to us if you would take a minute and leave us a review. This podcast and all of our free content is made available to you because of the generosity of people from all around the world, people just like you. Thank you.